While attending the ISPE Biotechnology Conference in Boston a while back, I took a walk across the river to Cambridge to spend some time with Dr. James MacArthur, President and CEO at PepGen, an early-stage biopharma developing disease-modifying peptide-conjugated oligonucleotide candidates to treat a variety of degenerative neuromuscular diseases. Dr. MacArthur shared his story, brought us up to speed on the advance of the oligo in the greater bio industry, and gave us an update on PepGen's clinical progress. Let's give it a listen. So here I am in, in Boston uh, for the ISP Biotech Conference, and I made a little side trip to visit uh, PepGen and Dr. James MacArthur, CEO there, and we're going to spend the next 45 minutes or so learning about what PepGen's doing and what inspired Dr. MacArthur to do what he does. Uh, Dr. MacArthur, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for coming by. Thank you for having me. And uh, I should note that we're going, maybe grab a picture of, of Georgia. I want to make sure she makes it makes it into the the promos as well. Georgia is uh, the, the PepGen company mascot, Dr. MacArthur's dog, a beautiful, uh, beautiful puppy I'm happy to be spending this morning with. Um, so I want to start, I want to learn about PepGen, but I want to start with you. Uh, you, um, from what I understand, so you're, were you, are you Canadian? You're Canadian. You're born, I am. Canadian. I was born in London, England, but uh, grew up in Canada. Oh, wow. So I'm not picking up either a London or a Canadian accent. Well, if you live in enough places, you can mix them all together and, and no one can figure out where I'm from. Yeah, I guess. Occasionally my, my about will come out. With the about okay yeah I grew up uh, near near Buffalo New York so mm -hmm. the Canadian accent is uh, I'm very familiar with it uh, Montreal you went to McGill correct yeah did you grow up in Montreal as well I did yeah very yeah. nice yeah no it's a great city yeah so you uh, you went to McGill uh, got your PhD there in immunology correct uh, biochemistry and oncology biochemistry and oncology and then what was the the um, Postdoc in immunology, or am I getting that? Correct. Yeah. So uh, two postdocs, one at MIT and one at UC Berkeley, um, working with uh, great investigators on T cell biology, David Rolay and Jim Allison. Jim Allison, of course, got the Nobel Prize uh, for uh, his elucidation of co-stimulation and its role uh, in activating T cells and its role and potential for immuno-oncology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you uh, when you're making decisions about what to do in school, what was sort of the what, what motivated you to pursue uh, the life sciences? Yeah, so um, I probably decided to become a scientist uh, when I was 12. Um, you know, snorkeling. Um, I found it fascinating how different organisms interacted with each other on coral reefs, and wanted to understand both from an organismal level and, and at a biochemical level what draws fish to certain areas and not to other areas. So that's what actually drew me originally into science. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. My, uh, we, I was actually in Montego Bay uh, mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, and my wife and I snorkeled together for the first time, and she absolutely fell in love with it. It's a great yeah. time. Do you do, still do any snorkeling? I do, and scuba diving. So I've dove um, pretty much all over the world. Um, and, uh, you know, my kids joke that uh, they actually think I used to be a fish. Yeah. Uh, at what point did you uh, kind of shift your, I guess, academic pursuits from, uh, you know, this interest in, in science in general, born of, uh, you know, interaction with uh, underwater organisms to uh, human life sciences? Yeah, so uh, I took a, an introductory biochemistry class, and they were describing how DNA um, is replicated by DNA polymerase. 
And I thought it was just so extraordinary uh, that this inner, that this uh, molecule essentially is able to produce copies of DNA with such fidelity and essentially life itself is dependent on this one protein and its ability to go and do that. And I want to understand how is that possible, mm-hmm. you know, that with such fidelity we can produce DNA in cell after cell um, from parents to progeny and generally uh, it works out well. And then, of course, the other side of that is when it doesn't work out. And, and that's what drew me into uh, medical sciences. Medical sciences, yeah. Um, and it wasn't long after you uh, came out of school, came out of your postdocs, like not long at all. Like you immediately went to industry, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, which is that, – that's unique. I spent a lot of time talking to guys who uh, fill your shoes who either spent a ton of time in academia – um, you know, or perhaps practiced some medicine, did some clinical work prior to somehow falling into an entrepreneurial uh, position or joining industry at all, for that matter. So I, I guess take, take us back to that transition from uh, earning your postdocs to uh, jumping right into, right into industry. Yeah, well, so at McGill University, the biochemistry school is part of the School of Medicine or associated with the School of Medicine, uh, as well as being an independent science. And so you have a lot of interface um, between the medical sciences and the biochemistry lab. So it, it, it keeps it very real in terms of how your science has the potential to really improve people's lives. Yeah. Um, and then I chose to move from, immunolo- from uh, biochemistry and oncology uh, into immunology to sort of broaden that understanding of, again, um, how we can go and improve uh, human health. Um, I'd always thought I'd go back to McGill University as a professor and end up teaching and pursuing science in that way. Uh, but purely by chance, uh, someone reached out to me and, and said, well, you've got a background in oncology, you've got a background in immunology. We've got this new field called gene therapy where we're looking at immuno-oncology. Uh, would you like to study responses in patients uh, in response to this? And so joined one of the early pioneering uh, gene therapy companies um, straight out of my postdoc and did that for the next eight years, uh, working on um, AAV vectors, lentiviral vectors, oncolytic viruses, T-cell therapeutics, did a tremendous amount of really cutting-edge research at that time, moving a lot of programs from the bench into the clinic. Um, and I was hooked. I realized that was the best way to go and create therapies that have the potential to improve people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now in your role as CEO here, and we're gonna, I'm gonna back up again, you know, uh, and sort of walk through um, through through your career path. But uh, I'm curious because you mentioned this sort of multidisciplinary approach that you possessed that kind of led you into uh, into industry, and it, it brought value right to the organizations you work for, or I should say, organizations. I, I caught that out there when you were, when you were speaking. Um, do you look for that now? Like as, as CEO at PepGen, uh, you're a growing company. You've been bringing people on board. Uh, I know I, I hear there are some growth plans uh, coming down the pike here. Uh, do, do you look for that multidisciplinary, um, I guess, approach in the in the people that you bring on board and your staff, like having some exposure to, as you said, you know, chemistry plus immunology or, or some other combination of uh, disciplines? Uh, certainly do. I think first and foremost, I'm looking for people who have that passion to go and really fundamentally uh, improve patients' lives, who appreciate that we're here to do something, and that something is to change the trajectory of someone who, unfortunately because of their DNA, uh, didn't end up uh, uh, with everything working as it should work. Yeah. And where we've got some tools to go and fix that, 
we want to bring those to bear and improve the lives of patients. So I think that's the first thing is what is the motivation of someone? Um, why do they want to be here at PepGen? I think number two is curiosity. Um, I have a, a long history of going into areas where I had never originally studied in, but have done well because of that curiosity. You find people who know, who, um, know more than you, who have tremendous expertise in that area, um, and you listen to them and you learn from them, and then you integrate everything you've learned in the past. Yeah. And that brings, you, brings me to the point you made, which is we want people who have worked in different areas, who can bring different ways of looking at a problem, thinking about a problem, so that we can solve that problem and translate uh, this work into things that will really move the needle for patients. Yeah, yeah. Um, so another another thing I want to get to about you uh, prior to getting into the the PepGen story is this this entrepreneurial bug. I mean, you you founded what five five, five companies now. Um, what 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 sort of drove that entrepreneurial itch? When did you first get bit by the bug? Kind of kind of walk me through that. What are, and what, what did that feel like? You know, for a lot of a lot of folks coming out of academia or or industry for that matter, like. It's a big risk. Uh, it takes a, a certain special personality to, uh, you know, to, to grab that mantle and run with it. So just tell me about where your headset was the first time you thought, you know what, this might be for me to go out there and, and, and start up a biopharma. Yeah, my first two companies were public companies already set up, already on a trajectory, um, learned a tremendous amount, uh, ended up uh, building, you know, some great teams, doing some great work. Uh, but ultimately, I wanted to have that ability to go and take really interesting, exciting research from leading academic laboratories and find a way to take it from a really cool publication mm-hmm. uh, into something that really could help patients. Um, and the best way I know that to do that is essentially uh, working with different venture capital groups that have that as their mandate. Um, so you've got the capital, you've got tremendous knowledge in-house, and then take my knowledge and integrate all that together to go and produce something that hopefully will benefit uh, patients. Um, and if we do that, um, it'll benefit the investors as well. Obviously, yeah. from their standpoint, you've got to be able to uh, see value creation for them to be in this and, and continue to back you. What advice do you have for people who uh, you know, perhaps look at a, a guy like you and go, wow, it takes a lot of um, I guess, sustainable energy to, to do that for, for quite some time. What's fueled, what's continued to fuel your, your desire to move forward with, uh, with, these, um, with these startups? So I'd say first and foremost is patients. So I actually go to a lot of patient meetings and you, you talk to parents, uh, particularly for a lot of these, these diseases that are manifest in, in children or teens, um, and you see how they are managing and the strength that they possess the strength their kids possess, yeah. um, and you get to know them, and you see that uh, that the arc of their lives, and you want to be able to try and contribute to an improvement in that arc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me that that's a big part of the drive. Um, I love science. I'm a scientist, probably first and foremost, and so being able to look at interesting science. Uh, and say, huh, how would I take this and turn this into a drug that will help patients? And then applying that entire background of drug development in small molecules and biologics, you know, both antibodies as well as, as gene therapeutics and cell therapeutics, bringing all that knowledge to bear with a great team of people, um, that's how we accomplish that task. Yeah, cool. 
Um, so Pep Gen, give me the origin story there. Let's, uh, you know, wherever you want to start with it, what's the, what's the origin story and your, your arrival on the scene? Yeah. So therapeutic oligonucleotides have been shown to go and, and, and be able to mediate biologic effects, uh, that uh, can be impactful in neuromuscular diseases like exon skipping or in the case of our myotonic dystrophy program, being able to prevent uh, the association of muscle-blind protein with repeats um, in DMPK. The challenge is getting it into the cell. And that's essentially where our academic founders began, is looking at what tools are available to allow us to get more oligonucleotide into the cells that matter so they can then mediate that positive biologic response and, and, uh, and change the trajectory. And so uh, our academic founders, who were based in the UK, uh, um, uh, Wood and Gate at, um, at Oxford University and MRC Cambridge, essentially took a sort of almost agnostic approach to designing a better cell-penetrating peptide that is attached to the oligonucleotide and allows it to go from the blood into the muscle cells. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did a lot of work over almost a decade to go and, and identify what are the component parts that are important to accomplish that, tested a lot of molecules, and then that's when the company was created to then take a series of those molecules forward. We identified one that we think is uh, extremely powerful at being able to deliver oligonucleotides to the muscle cells that matter, the heart, skeletal muscle, diaphragm. We also get meaningful levels into the brain, which is very important for some of these neuromuscular diseases. And then essentially the company uh, was established to then translate that and advance that technology forward. And that's what we're doing today. Um, my role uh, or how I became involved in the company is I was working with um, a venture capital uh, group called RA Capital. Uh, they were very interested in PepGen. Um, they asked me to contribute on, on some of the early development uh, work that was going on prior to their initial investment. They then did an initial investment, led the Series A funding um, back in November of, uh, of 20. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, um, I joined uh, as CEO of the company in January of, of uh, 21 with this idea of building the team, advancing the technology, and seeing it applied to as many neuromuscular diseases as it makes sense, where we can really improve um, uh, the trajectory of patients. What did, the, what did the company look like in 21 when you joined it, as far as people count and, I guess, uh, proprietary information and assets? Yeah, so the uh, company had six uh, folks working uh, at a small site uh, in Oxford in the UK. Um, most of them were, were fairly young in terms of their biotech career, some of them straight out of academia. They were doing some really terrific work but had not done uh, drug development in terms of taking programs uh, from the bench into the clinic, and, and that's where it's helpful bringing in more experienced people. Uh, we had, you know, oh, $6 million in the bank at that point, and, uh, and like I said, six people in the U.K., and then me uh, sitting in an office uh, here in the U.S., and that was it. Yeah. Was your office here in the U.S. in this facility? So I, sh I should mention we're in the, we're in the, the Cambridge uh, Innovation Center, Correct. CIC, here in, uh, in Cambridge, Boston. So have you been here from day one? I know I have a small office at home, and basically it was between there and RA Capital, essentially, that I, I hung my shingle. Yeah. Um, and then we got this space after I think we'd hired like another three people or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. Um, I want to I, I, I want to learn a little bit about the fundraising strategy, but first, because you mentioned it, um, you, you talked about uh, oligonucleotides and this being, um, you know, in 2020, 2020 2021, um, 
a pretty sexy newish right area. It's getting quite a bit of uh, of attention. Uh, how would you describe sort of the the broader development landscape around Oligos at the time, uh, and, and how does that kind of play into your go forward strategy? Uh, the fact that you're working in one of the more you know interesting, as I said, sexier uh, spaces in, in biopharma. Yeah. So one of the things which I like about our approach is we know that the therapeutic oligonucleotide, uh, you know, will work in terms of exon skipping in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. The challenge is uh, being able to get enough of it into the muscle cells that matter. Uh, there's a variety of groups uh, that are innovating in the space that are looking to come up with different solutions to solve that problem. Uh, we believe our, pro- our, our solution um, in terms of short uh, cell-penetrating peptides that have been specifically uh, created to solve this problem through uh, essentially a molecular evolution approach um, allows us to advance rapidly this program forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we think it's it's compelling. We have a lot of preclinical data uh, supporting this, uh, both mouse data where we can go and correct in a mouse model of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, the disorder, um, and produce very high levels of dystrophin, the protein that is defective or missing in patients. And we've been able to also in non-human primates demonstrate a very effective exon skipping using our actual clinical compound. And so we had a lot of preclinical data, both efficacy and safety data, that encouraged us to move forward rapidly. Um, and we're ho- expecting that we'll be in patients uh, the first half of next year mm. with this program. We're currently in clinical studies in a healthy normal volunteer study with this program, which we think is very important in terms of uh, teaching us about the safety of this approach and also giving us um, early reads on what the potential is in terms of mediating exon skipping ultimately when we move into patients. Yeah. When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations, like mRNA and cell and gene therapies, into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com backslash emerging biotech. Uh, fueling that move uh, will, will be a $112 million Series B that was closed, uh, I think, in, in August of 21. Well, I, I look at, you know, as you, as you mentioned, you joined in, in Jan 21, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken, by August, closed one hundred and twenty or $112 million dollar. Series B. So tell me about that. Um, you had that Series A kind of fueling things, bringing, bringing you on board, building the initial team. Uh, how did you go about, in a relatively short amount of time, during the pandemic, no less, uh, raising that 112 for the Series B? Yeah, so um, we were fortunate to be working with a great group of investors who were obviously part of helping us to, to catalyze that fundraising. Um, but it was really that compelling data that I mentioned to you, mouse data, non-human primate data, um, that encouraged people to go and invest in the company and allow us to really drive this forward. So we uh, finished uh, raising the remaining capital from that Series A round that was done in November of 20. Uh, we then did the crossover round, brought on board some new investors, really terrific investors who've been incredibly supportive of us. Uh, and then, of course, did the IPO 
um, a month or so ago. Mm -hmm. And the objective of all that is to provide the capital for the company to be able to move uh, these two programs forward uh, through patient clinical studies, our Exxon 51 skipping program in DMD, and then our myotonic dystrophy program uh, targeting DM1, type 1 myotonic dystrophy, and to get patient data uh, by uh, the first half of 2024, and then allow us to uh, have enough runway to be able to move forward with the next stages in terms of these programs development. So yeah. that was the rationale between uh, doing both that crossover round last year and then the IPO this year. Yep, awesome. What, what, <laughs> just an aside before we move on, what what do you uh, what energizes you the most about being a, a CEO at a company like PepGen? You know, scrappy, what sixty ish employees? Am I? I uh, know uh, we're about thirty eight right now. Thirty eight. Okay, not even sixty. Yeah. Uh, is it that sort of, you know, fundraising, you know, feet on the street, shaking hands, uh, business side of it? Or, I mean, I can tell you're very enthusiastic about the, the science. Like, what, what's, what's sort of the, the more exciting aspect for you? Or is it a combination? Yeah, so I can see where we're going and what we can go and do. Mm -hmm. And then uh, thinking about how do we get there, both in terms of building the team, building the data set, raising the capital, that's part of that. And I enjoy telling the story of Pepgen, uh, yeah. both to investors, to new employees, to existing employees, to patients and families, uh, because I do think we have that opportunity to, to really help people uh, and create real value that the investors will realize as well. So... Um, I enjoy the storytelling component from the standpoint of, of, of communicating what I think the power of this technology is and what I think we can do uh, for, for patients ultimately. Yeah, very good. Uh, I'm going to jam a few questions into, into one here. Um, so so I, I want to know, like, from the outset, why oligos are, are a good choice uh, to address diseases, neuromuscular diseases like Duchenne muscular dystrophy and, and DM1. Uh, and then I want to learn how your EDO program, the Enhanced Delivery Oligonucleotide Platform. Did I get that right? Yeah. Spot on. Okay. I want to I learn how that uh, works from an application standpoint, um, maybe get into a little bit of the, the development and manufacturing side. Um, so, so maybe take us from, you know, why oligos to how oligos using EDO. Yeah. So, as I'd mentioned, there was a, a great deal of data supporting the use of oligonucleotides in the context of, for instance, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. We know that they can mediate exon skipping. There's a tremendous amount of data from people who came before us, both preclinical data as well as human clinical data, that, that these moieties are able to go and correct the fundamental problem uh, that patients with Duchenne muscular dystrophy face. Mm -hmm. We also know what the fundamental problem is in terms of taking them from having some effect to something that is really uh, going to change patients' lives. And that's delivery of sufficient amounts of material into the muscle cells. Yeah. And so what I like about that particular program and that particular question is we know that the cargo will work. And we know we need to get it into cells. And we can measure that. And so we need to just solve for that delivery problem. And we believe we've done that with the EDO technology. Um, I think, you know, for me as a scientist, I like working with one variable at a time. So what we are testing here is, can we improve upon the delivery of therapeutic oligonucleotides? We've got all of this mouse data and all of this non-human primate data that says we can and we can do it, uh, you know, safely. And now we're getting human data. And that's critical in terms of being able to now advance this to patients. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get very excited about mouse data. 
But unfortunately, we've solved uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy in mice countless times. Right. And it has not translated uh, into humans. So that's what we're doing as rapidly as, po- as possible, uh, thoughtfully as possible, advancing it through a phase one healthy volunteer study to get safety data and uh, activity data, looking at exon skipping, and then taking that data and those learnings and then applying them to the phase two program in patients mm-hmm. again so we can move as thoughtfully and rapidly as possible to get to what we all want, a solution that truly changes and improves patients' lives. Um, in our monotonic dystrophy program, the nice thing about that program is we've got a tremendous amount of data uh, with an approach that is rather unique out there where we are seeking to block what is a pathologic uh, interaction uh, between uh, an RNA species, and uh, the uh, muscle-blind one protein that mediates many, many effects in the cells in terms of producing correct transcripts. We've got a lot of data in both patient cells and now also in a mouse model supporting that. Um, we've presented this publicly, and uh, we're now looking to advance that program as rapidly as possible directly into patients, and we anticipate doing that in the first half of next year as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as as you look look toward that, like what is what does a clinical supply uh, situation look like for you? Like uh, in terms of in terms of uh, capacity, volume, kind of how you're how you're looking ahead to satisfying that need. Yeah. So uh, we're fortunate. We've got some great uh, contract uh, manufacturing groups that we're working with, uh, both on raw materials um, on the oligonucleotide side and on the peptide side. Again, one of the things I like about uh, this program is we're solving for a single problem right now, and that is delivery. We're not solving for manufacturing. We know how to synthesize the peptides. We know how to synthesize the oligonucleotides, and we can do that readily. And we know how to join them together and then characterize the product. So we don't have the sort of challenges that you know, often are problematic with gene therapy, which is manufacturing. Yeah. That we can go and do quite readily. Um, we are always constantly improving upon our manufacturing process. We're always uh, constantly seeking to improve in terms of raw materials. Uh, But uh, at least today, we can readily go and support both our phase one and phase two programs with existing technology, existing uh, manufacturing groups that we're working with, um, and existing methods. Yeah, okay. Um, So I know you you mentioned those phase one and phase two programs a couple times. Uh, And I think you did mention that you recently dosed your first participant in the the phase one clinical trial of uh, NDMD, PGN-EDO51. Correct. Did I get get that right? Um, So tell us a little bit more about that candidate and the trial. Give us an update on where the trial is and and what's next in terms of that specific one. Yeah, what we've communicated is that by the end of the year, we'll be reporting out both safety data um, as well as PK and PD data. So safety data, obviously, how does this molecule behave uh, in this phase one single ascending dose uh, study in adult volunteers? Um, Obviously, these are not Duchenne patients. They're not children. But from a standpoint of getting early data, it's a good way to rapidly move forward in terms of clinical development. PK data, we are taking muscle biopsies uh, from these individuals, and we'll go and look in the muscle biopsies uh, following dosing for the presence of the therapeutic oligonucleotide. Obviously, we want to see you know reasonable levels of oligonucleotide in the muscle cell, or else we know it won't have an impact. And then lastly, from a pharmacodynamic standpoint, you know, do we see any target engagement? We'll be looking in those same biopsies for exon 51 skipping. Mm-hmm. So 
We expect to see the oligo there. We expect to see Exxon 51 skipping. And we can use that to go and predict into the future what we would see in patients at that given dose. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious how much of the work, the, the development work that, that uh, PepGen has done and that you've done and, and the academic community uh, in advance of PepGen's existence, for instance, have done um, that has been, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if in silico is the correct term, but how much of the, how much of the work, uh, the research work for a new company in a relatively new therapeutic area is taking place uh, using data, machine learning, AI? So I would say uh, we've not depended heavily uh, on that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about this is it's a new area. And so in terms of generating the data that allowed us to pick the particular enhanced delivery oligonucleotide peptide that is part and parcel of our EDO51 program, uh, that was really based on both thoughtful design of molecules and then testing of those molecules in cells and in mice and then taking the subset that looked particularly compelling with a good safety profile into non-human primates. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's essentially how we ended up with the lead candidate uh, from a whole series of different molecules that were originally designed, created, and tested. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Uh, So next big projects, you've mentioned uh, preclinical programs in DM1 and other DMD populations. uh, What's on the horizon for for PepGen? Yeah. So first program, EDO51, uh, moving into patients next year. Second program, EDO DM1, focused on myotonic dystrophy type 1, moving into patients in a first in human study in the first half of next year. We'll be reporting out by the end of this year on our second DMD program. So this is in some fashion almost a bespoke genetic medicine where we focus on particular patient groups in the DMD community who are going to be uh, responsive to that particular oligonucleotide. Mm-hmm. So the EDO51 program targets those DMD patients who um, uh, are amenable to an exon 51 skipping approach to produce a slightly shortened but functional dystrophin protein. The EDO53 program targets that portion of the DMD patients amenable to an exon 53 skipping approach. Again, that's a fairly, it's a second largest uh, patient population uh, out there. And so our, we have a real commitment to the DMD community and we are looking to go and move through multiple groups. So 51 and 53 and 45 and so on and so forth to begin to address a larger and larger uh, portion of the DMD community that are amenable to this approach where we think this technology can really help them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so fueling uh, those future projects, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're in the throes of a, a pretty constricted market from a capital standpoint in biotech right now. Uh, as we ascertained, you're uh, in pretty good financial position having nailed down that Series B in 21. Um, and I'm not going to ask you for specifics on how far that, you know, your, that cash is going gonna, is gonna to run you through. Um, but I'm just curious on your perspective around, you know, uh, what the what what the uh, what the market looks like right now a little bit longer term for a company that as you said 35 38 employees uh, just just getting your feet wet in the clinic and moving forward with some clinical programs now um, you know what's your what's your what's your take on capital markets moving forward what's your advice for other biopharma CEOs who are you know, maybe facing a little bit more restrictive, uh, a little bit more of a restrictive uh, capital markets environment. Yeah, so um, 
the capital we have will take us well into 2025, so way beyond uh, where we anticipate having those readouts in the first half of uh, 2024 for the two lead programs. Um, and that was by design. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not going to grow the team uh, dramatically. We'll be somewhere between 40 and 50 people, and we believe that's the right size team. Mm -hmm. It's a capital-efficient approach uh, because in this particular market, um, it's tough for companies. And so we appreciate that you know, we've got to be in a good position where we get that data that demonstrates that this program can move the needle for patients, that we create value, and that we have enough runway after that to then be able to execute on moving forward with that next stage of clinical development, raising additional capital, and so forth. So we are very mindful, even though we are uh, very in a very good position from a capital standpoint, we're very mindful on how we spend that capital yeah. uh, because I've uh, been in several downturns um, in biotech, including some far more severe than we're experiencing right now, um, where it's just in a very bad place to be if basically you are, are on fumes at that point um, and you have to do any deal you can possibly do. Right. Um, we have, uh, with the capitalization, with the support of our investors, uh, found ourselves in a, in a good position uh, where we can weather downturns uh, in data if we see them. Um, and continue to advance those programs uh, in a thoughtful fashion. Yeah, excellent. Uh, what haven't I asked you that uh, that you think is central to the to the PepGen story, and perhaps important considerations for uh, you know other uh, CEOs of new and emerging biofarms? Think think in the context of uh, you know maybe a CEO seeing some of this for the first time. I know it's not your first rodeo, uh, but. What other considerations should uh, should folks in your shoes be thinking about in this in this market as they kind of navigate these waters? Yeah, so I think um, it, you know it's key building the team, the right size team, and the right team in terms of their motivation and keeping everyone focused on both those near term goals and objectives that you know we've already talked about. But as a CEO, also thinking about what are we going to be two years, three years, four years from now, mm -hmm. building that next generation program. And, and we've communicated that we believe this technology has the ability to go after neurologic diseases. And so we have team members who are focused on that component alone. You know, what can we do with both the existing peptides, peptides in our existing uh, armamentarium, and then taking all that information to, de to design the next generation peptides yeah. uh, that may allow us to achieve higher levels of delivery to muscle, that may allow us to achieve higher levels of delivery to the CNS. And what can we do with that? Um, I've spent a lot of my time in the rare disease space. Most of, of the companies I've worked on in the last 20 years have been focused on uh, rare genetic diseases. There's a tremendous amount of unmet need here. Um, and what I like about working in the space is it's a real community. It's a community of patients and caregivers and, and thought leaders and companies. There's a tremendous amount of sharing of information that happens that I think is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and that's powerful. Because it's only upon the learnings of others that we're going to create the advances for patients tomorrow. Um, and so I really love uh, working in the space in this community. Um, and, uh, you know, from a scientific standpoint, when we know what the genetic problem is, we have a better chance of going after it and, and addressing it in a meaningful fashion. Um, but again, I'm always focused on what is the problem and do we have that solution to solve that particular problem? Yeah. And I think we can create new solutions. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. MacArthur. I appreciate it. I think uh, I think that's all the questions I have for you. As I said, unless, there, unless there's an obvious one that I'm missing uh, or anything else that you'd like to share. 
No, no, no. We've talked about the dog, so yes. I, I think we're all set. Yeah, Georgia. Where's Georgia? Uh, she's asleep under oh, the she's table. Sleeping. I will let her sleep. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing uh, sharing some some time with me, uh, for inviting me into your your, your space here, uh, for allowing me to pet your dog. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, we'll be paying attention to Pep Gen, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show maybe when we've got some more clinical data to talk about and a little bit more progress. That'd be great. All I appreciate right. it. Thank you. Thank you. That's Pep Gen President and CEO, Dr. James MacArthur. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, which demonstrates its support for new and emerging biotech leaders at Cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Visit us at bioprocessonline.com, where I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter. And if you like what you're hearing here, subscribe to the pod, leave us a review, and as always, thanks for listening.